0: welcome back to another and the last box-to-box olympics episode sadly maybe not sadly maybe it's time for the Cell season to start um but I'm Alexi Vaseta, your host and I'm joined by the usual Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdullah Abdullah actually it's Jesse Jesse because we established that last time
1: and Absolutely Abdullah
0: safe. Abdullah how are you two
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm good thanks
2: not too bad alex alex how are you doing
0: (laughs) i'm doing quite good yeah um so let's start off with our bracket predictions because that went quite terribly for all of us (laughs) um so as everyone probably knows by now canada won gold sweden won silver and the usa bronze so the only thing we got right basically was Sweden in the final though Abdullah and I quite did a bit better because we predicted Canada to win over Brazil and Jesse you got Brazil on that one so you know just edging that one in but let's let's go for for kind of going through the medals Um, Canada gold Jesse are you surprised at all?
1: Yeah super surprised I mean I'm super happy for them you know I love Bev Priestman they're a great team they've got some wonderful players so you know, I think I said on on Twitter when they got to the final I was happy for my my racket to be wrong, but that's the thing, you know, someone wins in a penalty shootout and all your predictions just go up in the air. What can you do? It's people should think of people predicting games before they play football.
0: <laughs> they should honestly, they could have, you know, just gave us just one match, really. Um I don't think we got any yeah, Sweden was the only one we got, right? We put Team GB in bronze. I will
1: say, before the start of the tournament, I said Sweden for silver because I thought Holland would win gold. Yeah. So I technically managed to hold on to one correct position. <laughs> Better than
0: any of us, so that's fine. Um, Abdullah, Sweden losing the final to Canada. I didn't expect that, did you?
2: Honestly, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna say no because, I mean, the way they've been playing the entire tournament, you were like, oh, "This is Sweden's for the taking." I mean, they've just been in the form of their life. Their players are in the in in their prime of their careers. They tactically were were excellent throughout the tournament. They they managed to outweigh every opposition. And then you know, little old Canada comes through and says, "You know what? We're just gonna throw a dent." here and we're just going to throw a curveball and we're just going to go and do it i mean to be fair after they beat the u.s and though we have been saying that the u.s hasn't been at their best and you know maybe it's time for a change it, probably that should have been the the kind of the turning point for everybody to say you know what canada might actually have more than a fighting chance here in the final um but i think sweden had their chances in 90 minutes and, and even in 120 minutes they had their chances they should have put it away as soon as they got the penalty i think canada was like yeah we're ready for this because this is what we wanted so yeah i'm didn't expect it but by the time it got to the, to the penalties you're like this might just be Canada so even the, the penalty shootout was a was it was a nightmare just going back and forth back and forth anybody could have won it there either
0: yeah at one point it was kind of like it was just going up and down on roller coasters really in terms of emotions uh for both Canada and Sweden um, but yeah I think I think the final definitely showed a lot of fatigue as well, um, especially for the Swedish side I mean they, they've been scoring quite a lot of goals leading up to this um, a lot of especially against the US like that was a three 0 win that that required a lot of energy just right off the bat. Um, and fatigue showed so I'll give I'll give Sweden the, the benefit of the doubt in terms of fatigue kind of not their day on that end. Um, but we'll we'll start with a general roundup starting from the quarterfinals in the knockout stage. That was, it seemed like so long ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. Um, we'll start with Team GB, Australia. Obviously, Team GB lost uh, 3-4 against the Aussies. Ellen White hat trick, though. <laughs> that still wasn't enough. Uh, just a reminder that it went 2-2 into extra time uh, with a late, very late Sam Kerr equalizer in the 89th minute to push into extra time. And then obviously, uh, Australia went to score two more goals and Ellen White just managed the one. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was pure chaos, really, considering what it was. Uh, very entertaining at one point. Um, but yes, Jesse, being British, but also someone who likes Sam Kerr quite a lot, uh, what do you think of this match?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, chaos was the word. It also, just in terms of it felt like there was so much luck and talents in one game, which almost made it, you know, not to take away from from either team, but it was just really felt like a game where it summed up how easily football can turn on the the tiniest of margins. You know, you had Caroline Weir stepping up to take that penalty and like within a minute, you know, the penalty saved down the other end, Mary Fowler's taking a spectral shot and it clips Lucy Bronze's foot. And it felt like that piece of luck really just left Team GB with way too much work to do I thought you know there was some kind of like strange selections I was quite surprised by the decision to start Leah Williamson not so much because of her ability but just you know because Millie Bright plays with Sam Kerr it felt like an obvious match-up we know Australia can be very good in the air and you know it's maybe no surprise the opening goal came came from a corner headed header from Alana Kennedy. And you know, Sam Kerr said after the game she doesn't like playing against people who know how she wants to play. And it felt like that was a bit of a bit of an own goal from GB, especially because Millie Bright ended up having to come on in the 60th minute anyway. And then we were playing Leah Williamson at left back. So all of that felt like a bit of a strange choice. But obviously team GB got into the back into the match, some great goals from Ellen White who who's had an amazing tournament. Um and you think, okay, yep, this is the way it's supposed to go. We're kind of cruising through seemed in control of the game and then you know you back off Sam Kerr and the penalty area and that's all it takes and it it just felt like yeah you know extra time was tough but it's always very hard I think for a team to come back from conceding an 89th minute equaliser because the momentum just swings in a totally different direction.
0: Uh, you didn't mention how Millie Bright was playing striker at one point in the extra time.
1: <laughs> that was hilarious, and I did enjoy this. Uh, she did what well, she was a striker when she was younger, so yeah. there is form. But it was still that was a real like, oh fuck, we've got absolutely no idea what to do. The that, other thing was the, we weren't even panic. really playing. Yeah, we weren't even really them playing long balls up to her. That's the would thing. Be the though, it wasn't thing. it wasn't really used the way you kind of expected because the obvious. Thing
0: to do is that Millie Bright is up there just to win aerial duels and flick off the ball to whoever's around her but then it didn't maybe it wasn't work. the plan
1: maybe Millie Bright just went rogue it was a decoy yeah
0: <laughs> but yeah so Abdullah uh, did you expect a bit more from GB um, I mean we talked about it before the the quality that GB have on paper individual players is absolutely amazing but then you know Australia came into I mean they shocked everyone in this tournament to be honest um we, I mean we said last pod it, the way they played in the group stage was an absolute shock for everyone um so was it not that much of a surprise that they overcame GB considering the the form that they were in coming into this game?
2: I think it's a little bit of both, right? Um you I think before the, you know, before the group stages you're like yeah, team GB, I mean if you were to look at it, if you put team GB up against Australia before the tournament, you'd say yeah, team GB should be winning that game. Uh all things considered that, you know, the Australians had to go through, you know, not having a proper, you know, a build up to to the Olympics, but um and I'd say, and I say both because Australia, like you said, surprised everybody in the group stages. They played some really good football. They 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 went toe to toe with the likes of Sweden and the US and and you know and and all those and um and and GB though they started off well. They started scoring goals and they progressively got to fewer goals. And obviously, this game was a it was an explosion of goals at the end as well. I think GB with the talent that they have and that you know we we've talked about it. Like they've got so many amazing players, um. Maybe it, 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 I, we could have expected a little bit more, but then we also talked about the fact that Hegarisa has only been there temporarily. She's not going to be there in the long term. She had a very, you know, little time to prepare. Um, so... You know, realistically, we'll will probably probably see the best of GB, or rather, the lionesses. And I mean, now because the majority of the team was that, right? The majority of the team was that. We'll see that. I think this this set of players do well the next time round, whether it's for the individual countries or when they come collectively together in the next Olympics. Because I think these players, will, I think half of them will be in their prime, and half of them will have a new generation coming through. So I think it'll be better then, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I can't even split it because there's just reasons on both sides for the fact that GB arguably should have won this and been better, but then Australia were just, they just surprised everybody and they kind of came trumps and, you know, the players that we talked about, the Kennedys, your Carpenters, your Kers, they stepped up and they delivered.
0: I do want to I do want to mention someone from Australia, because right now the news just came out. Uh, Kaya Simon just signed for Spurs. I Ooh. think she's been one of my standout Great. players in this tournament. I think Australia have used her really, really well. Um, so I just want to slip that into the podcast.
1: Yeah. And I'll yeah. say as well, nice bit of breaking news. But I also <laughs> have been I didn't really know much about her, but um, I was really impressed by Tamiki Alop throughout yeah. the tournament and she's obviously going to be at West Ham so I think it was I, I will say generally throughout this Olympics I've really enjoyed getting a chance to see you know we've seen it with some of the Swedish girls who are going to Everton these Australian players you know Nick Newven going to Chelsea it's been really nice to get a real taster I think of yeah. some of these players before they head into the WSL because you know obviously it can be hard to follow women's football around other bits of the world a lot of the time so it's a great opportunity to kind of see um, what you're getting for for next season
0: yeah, what I liked about Kaya Simon so much is that she she did all the simple things right. Um, the way they played her, she kind of played off of Sam Kerr in that central position. Um, but she was really good at receiving the ball, holding up the ball, and then giving a pass back for then Australia to be able to switch the the game onto the wings, which is their strength, essentially. Um, but she was just she was doing everything right the passes were simple it was the most simple passes like literally just receive the ball first touch second touch or giving a pass back for someone else to distribute the ball and her intensity was really, really good. She had a few shots on target as well. Um, so Kaya Simon, yeah, to Spurs. Little breaking news on the pod, first time ever. Um, so yeah, that, that's something to look forward to. I'm really excited for that, actually, to see on the WSL. Uh, but Jesse, moving back to G, to Team GB before they're gone forever on this podcast, what what went wrong for them? I mean, we we I think this could have this is a match that could have gone either way, and it's not really surprising that it that it was like that. Um, but what kind of went wrong for GB here?
1: I think the obvious thing to pick out from the 90 minutes is the defensive errors. You know, I think both goals were just clear defensive errors. And I know some people have spoken about how this feels like a repetitive problem for England and Team G. But I actually think broadly throughout the first three games, Team GB defended really well. Um, And it's always going to be hard in such a quick Tournament, you know, you're you're going straight into quarterfinals. There's no round of sixteen to maybe adjust your level. You know, you make one, one or two defensive errors, and that's it. You're out. You know, that one mistake from whether it's Horton or Bronze, you kind of blame it for. But in the 89th minute, that's it. So I think it's tricky. I think the concern for Team GB slash England, realistically going forward, is that. in attacking sense, England's stacked with really good young players. And in a defensive sense, there's clearly some issues. It's not quite working. And on top of that, you're looking at lots of these players who have been kind of store sense ageing out. Um, whether that's Horton and Bronze, obviously both in their 30s. Millie Bright is, you know, in her late 20s. You've obviously got Leah Williamson, who's very young, um, still relatively young, I guess. Um, But I don't think you've really seen her maybe kick on as much as some of us thought two or three years ago. Um, I think this season might be a great opportunity for her maybe to like take a next step up because... That's just my concern is I don't know where this next generation of English defenders is necessarily going to be coming from. There's names around, you know, you can look at like Neve Charles, Lotto Moy. they obviously were both there. There's players like Aoife Mannion, who has been really exciting, but had an injury. She's looking for a new start at United this season, but there just feels like there's a gap there. And I think that's my worry moving forward, because I don't think ultimately you can read a huge amount off four games at a tournament three of which I think you played pretty well in and one you were a bit unlucky in the only thing I would say that maybe I hope Team GB slash England take from this tournament is how well smaller in inverted commas or teams who've kind of been also runs in the past have looked to do whether that's Canada whether that's Australia you know even Sweden I know they were also (laughs) silver medalists again but how sometimes I think uh, English fans can have a bit of mentality of, oh, it's not worked out for us again and again and again. But the reality is that's true because USA normally win everything. But I think we're seeing a real shift and I hope there's a bit of a change in mentality from watching this tournament that kind of goes beyond just pure tactics.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think Phil Neville kind of had the wraps on in terms of mentality, but I don't think he he knew how to push that a step further into the football. Um, I think Serena Vigman could be big here for for England in general. I think she's gotten the best of the Dutch team, both mentally um, and mentally, not just like, you know, like mentally strong to push forward to win games, but also I think she's also let the dutch team relax a lot um she's kind of gotten the best and the worst out of the dutch team and i think that can definitely help a lot with england and obviously serena wiegman is it's tactically a genius one of the one of the good ones of, of coaching in football we're actually gonna move on to the netherlands now an absolutely gutting um final our our vibes didn't really work here um So it was 2-2 in normal time for USA-Netherlands. And then the Dutch lost uh, 4-2 in the penalty shootout. Not the greatest penalty shootout for the Dutch. Um, And Liki Martens missed her penalty in regular time. And that was going to be the winner. The photos of her crying after were absolutely... I wanted to cry just seeing that. It was so sad. Um, And then also Vivian Miedema uh, missed her penalty in the shootout. Um, Though I do want to mention that Carly Lloyd racked up 10 goals over four Olympics and Vivian Miedema got 10 goals in her first ever Olympics. I'm um, just throwing that out there just cause that was, that, that, that was the best out of the entire tournament basically. Um, and yes, this was also Serena Wigman's last game in charge of the Dutch cause now she will be coming to England uh, for the Lionesses. I believe starting in September mm-hmm. is officially when she shifts over her post. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, the Dutch had so many opportunities to close out the game, I think, uh, starting with that penalty. I mean, obviously a lot of pressure for Lika Martins. She she usually does get that, but it was I think it was just a poorly taken penalty. Um the keeper guessed the right way. Obviously, if the keeper guessed the other way that was going in, but it was it wasn't really um kind of cornered. It was very central. It was very easy save for the keeper. Um but Jesse, what'd you think?
1: Yeah, I thought it was funny because actually um, the Dutch and the Team GB penalties were given for like almost like quite similar fouls, I think. And then hilariously, kind of Lika Martins and Caroline Weir took them exactly the same way and they were both saved. So I kind of like was having this weird deja vu, like re-watching this. Um, But yeah, it was a frustrating game for the Dutch. I will say Alyssa Neha had like... And like until she got injured, had an amazingly good tournament and was really, really immense in this game. I think. I think a lesser goalkeeper, the Dutch probably would have won. And that's kind of like frustrating for them. I think they did really well to get back into the game. You know, I think when the USA went two one up, um, the Dutch obviously haven't gone one 0 no up from a fantastic Midamar goal. Um, it felt like, oh, you know, here we go again. And in some ways, I think it showed how much this Dutch team has continued to grow under Serena Wiegmann that they were able to push on and they they were coming out on on top. But it just felt like maybe, <laughs> maybe there wasn't quite the same depth that the US had to really be able to take it, you know, across the 90 minutes to push on with that advantage in extra time, you know, by the time we're in extra time, it felt like the USA had really kind of rested back control of the game that the Dutch had had for that last half hour. Um, And it, it just felt like they, they didn't have anything left to give, unfortunately.
0: You know, apart from GB, maybe. Uh, the US definitely had the strongest bench. Um, I mean, when you're, when you're starting Carly Lloyd, Megan Rampino, Tobin Heath, you have Kristen Press, Alex Morgan call me off the bench, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, even in your midfield, you know, Rose Lavelle was bench. She comes on in that energy that we've spoken about previously in the podcast for Man City, especially. Yeah, I think I think bench here was was a big factor in, in the US. We talked about fatigue and I think it showed a lot. And you have, especially in the third place, that we'll get onto later that third place match i mean the us just powered through australia mainly because of the bench they just brought in fresh legs and that was that was kind of it australia couldn't really do anything about it um football i mean it was just fatigue um but abdullah were you surprised of the score in terms of the 2-2 in regular time and extra time or was it kind of it did it go as kind of you thought it would
2: i think it kind of went as thought it, as i thought it would just mainly because def- or- the Dutch defensively haven't been the strongest. You know, they've, 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 like we talked about in the last part, they gave away goals in the previous games that probably they didn't, they shouldn't have and, you know, they should have defended a little bit better. So I was expecting goals from the U.S. as, as, as you know, as poor as they've been, you know, quote unquote, the U.S. have been this tournament and leading up to it, they, um, they were going to score. I mean, they've got enough quality up front to be able to get some goals. So I expected them to score and I expected the Dutch to score as well just because of the you know, U.S. is four. So in in that sense, yes, I did think it would go this way, but um, it, it I think the goals gave the US a little bit more confidence than they had before, and I think that spurred them on going into extra time, uh, and then obviously we get to uh, we get to we get the penalties as well. But um, yeah, I think I think Nair had a. Had an insane tournament. I think there's anybody in that team that 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 had a were on their game was the listener. and I think if it wasn't for her, I think they'd be uh, they'd have lost more, worse, more games, and probably like mm-hmm. the amount of chances that the Netherlands had, they would have been better. And I think I think the Dutch defensively, I know we're gonna get onto this in a second, but um, I think there were moments there where there were there were some simple tactical tweaks that the US were doing against their against the Dutch center backs and I felt like they could have been addressed quicker. I felt like Anith Newman was too isolated you know, towards the last 10 15 minutes of the game. It's like Christian Press would just sit on the shoulder and then they would just make diagonal runs in behind Newman and then there would be no no cover because the other center back whether it was Jansen whoever would step up. They would beat that press and then they would just Isolate new and then they would just go in behind for pace. I mean, I think the last 10 minutes they were like two or three offside goals that the US scored, but each of them were offside. So any one of them, you know, she's a half a second earlier, they could have scored and won it in, in normal time. So I think for me that's where I think that's where they they were a little bit weak and probably they were a little bit lucky in 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 normal time.
0: I think one of the only criticisms I usually see in Janssen is that she steps up a lot. And I don't know if a lot of it is kind of planned or if she kind of knows her what's around her surroundings. Um, I think she steps up a lot without really um, kind of looking at the consequences. So I, I definitely see what you're saying there, Abdullah. Um, but yeah, defensively, in the group stage, the Dutch made a lot of questionable decision-making. Making. Um, penalties, you know, back, uh, bad back passes. Uh, but Jesse, all this team needs is kind of a little tweak like here and there, basically. Um, What do you think the Dutch need to build from this going into a new coach, the Euros and and everything else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be very interesting. I do worry about them a bit just because I feel like that shift from when you've had like, for them, like what is it like a generational legendary coach to someone new, I think can be really tricky. But as you say, like on paper, there's nothing super wrong with this team I guess it's just maybe kind of similar as you know all teams have to face out like people aging out like Sheridan Spitzer I think was she retiring already before she picked up the knee injury or from international football but
0: yeah I don't know the exact details but it is um yeah it is coming to the end of that and I think especially now that she's kind of I think she's at that point of her her career that she's kind of like happy with everything I mean, mm. like her family as well. She's back in the Netherlands. Uh, she's kind of quite settled for that. So we'll see if if she'll go to the Euros, which I think she might give that little push considering that she missed out on this tournament. Maybe push that little bit and then retire after that.
1: But yeah, I think she's a player that the Dutch clearly really missed. I mean, but then positives, you know, I thought uh, Nick Newven, who had some concerning moments earlier on in the tournament, actually had a really good game against the US, um, which I think's a really good sign for the Dutch. She... You know it's a nice sign for Chelsea as well. Like, I do think she looks like she'll go on and just get better and better. Um, but that other main issue is probably Sari Van Wienendel and who comes in to replace her, because I think that's also a position that's run its course. And I think that combination, especially in those earlier games, where you know, without Spitzer kind of in front of them and then with Van Viendel behind them, is that's where we kind of saw this nervousness from the Dutch defense and You know, I think it was always going to be hard going into a game against the US, knowing that you conceded that many goals to ultimately much worse teams than the US. And, you know, maybe part of what the Dutch struggled with was you know, requiring a massive shift in kind of confidence and belief because that must get to you, you know, (laughs) seeing like Zambia score all these goals, like ultimately that's not really what you expect from a team who's like looking to win an Olympic gold. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens next from the Dutch. I think, you know, we might see uh, a bit of an overhaul and I wonder if as a result, they might struggle at at the Euros, um, just because it's coming around so quickly, but at the same time, because it's coming around so quickly, maybe if, if they choose to keep stuff fairly, fairly static, they'll still, they'll still look good.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can never go wrong when you have, uh, Leke Martins and Vivian Miedema.
1: I was also <laughs> just about to say that I was like <laughs> finished talking and I was like, and also they've got Miedema. So. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's never a bad thing.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I do agree. Anik Nguyen definitely did really, really well. Um, against the U.S., which was obviously not... It wasn't surprising. It was just concerning because she could have done completely really, really bad against the U.S. as well. Um, But I think, yeah, going to Chelsea, I think, is going to provide her a lot of good experience. Um, It's going to be beneficial, I think, more for the Dutch than it would be for Chelsea Um, just because, obviously, Magda is not losing her place there. And then she gets to learn off of Magda, which is, yeah, just only going to be good for um, for the Dutch because then obviously... Uh, Stefan de Graz is also coming towards the kind of end um, to her career. She's back in Ajax um, from Barcelona. That was obviously family reasons. She had a new baby. Um, so she moved back to be closer with her family. Um, but she is kind of she is getting to the older um ages of football age, of course, because she's actually not that old. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of I think now and is gonna be the the next it in that Dutch defense. Um so I think it's a little bit of pressure on her, but I think she's what she's w- what we've seen so far from her, I think it's pretty good. Um, but moving on to kind of the next quarterfinal, semifinal, we're gonna mix that together into one. Uh Sweden unsurprisingly beat Japan three-one. Um, not really a surprise there. Um, and they set up a f- semifinal against Australia, um, which only finished 1-0 for Sweden. A reminder that the group stage finished 4-2 and Australia were leading 2-1 at one point And Sweden kind of had to fight back for that one, which they kind of did. It kind of looked like they were slow at the start and then they kind of picked it up and then and then came back in that group stage. Um, but yeah, this match didn't have as many goals as a group stage. Um, Jesse, what would you think?
1: Yeah, I mean I thought Australia were really impressive actually and I think it felt like they'd learned a lot from that previous game. You know, I think that group stage game we actually saw how good how well, how much Sweden struggled really with Australia kind of overloading their midfield by kind of dropping their forwards back. Um and you know, Sweden only got their first goal basically by catching in that game by catching Steph Catley out position. And it just felt like Australia really carried on um, from where they'd left off there because I I honestly thought Sweden would, would blow them away. Um, Mainly also because I was um, concerned by how much going to extra time against GB would have taken out of Australia, Um, but they looked really solid. And I think what it really speaks to is something that's really impressed me with the Australians is how it feels like they've with every game they've played they've like learned and improved and obviously you know when you've got a new coach coming in that is something that you hope is going to happen um but it doesn't always work like that you know but it really feels like even if you look across this whole year from those you know first matches they were playing where they were getting you know trounced kind of four or five nil whatever it was I mean that was mainly because Mackenzie Arnold was throwing everything into her own goal and I think Tegan Micah has like had a really outstanding tournament and i think if um she doesn't play against gb and against sweden like these results are very very different ultimately um so credit to her i think i've really enjoyed this um tournament for goalkeepers i think we've seen some really impressive goalkeeping performances um, and some horrific ones too so it's always enjoyable um but yeah and just kind of i mean i think it always felt like sweden were gonna squeeze whatever they needed to squeeze out of it in the end but You know, especially now in hindsight, looking back on that final as well, you just think, oh, there were like maybe a couple of hints there that Sweden weren't necessarily this kind of all-conquering, blowing everyone away team that we kind of thought they were from those first four matches.
0: Abdullah, as Sweden struggled a bit more in this match, it seemed, um, considering how dominant they've been in the previous matches, do you think it was down to fatigue or was it down to, to kind of a tactical aspect of it?
2: I think, I think obviously, I think it's both. And I've been saying a lot of both this this episode, but you know, that's, that's the choices you're giving me here. Um, no, I think, I think obviously, they've been, they've been playing a lot of games in quick succession. The players have had a long season as well. So I think fatigue finally started kicking in. But I think at the same time, Sweden's game plan is is so predicated on what they do off the ball. It's a lot of pressing. It's a lot of energy. It's sort of running around. So I think that that was starting to take a toll after playing some big, big games in the group stages and kind of leading up to this point. And I think at the same time, um, while you know, while they were doing really well tactically, I think other teams had enough of a sample size to be able to go back and watch footage and be able to, and kind of pinpoint where they thought that they could, they could nullify the Swedes. Right. So, and I think because of that, um, you know, it, it ended up being just a, uh, just a one nil. Cause I think Australia clearly like, like Jesse said, you know, like they clearly learned from their four two loss that, okay, this is how you can stay in Sweden. This is how you, um, you know, this is how you play against them and then kind of use the fatigue against them, you know, I think I think Australia held the ball a lot better in the in, in the in the second game against them than they did in the first. Um, though you know Sweden ultimately came through. I think I think ultimately their their forward power and in kind of the front four. I think that overpowered um, the, the Australians, but I think, um, yeah, I, I think, I think obviously fatigue is there, but I think teams are starting to kind of figure out, okay, maybe this is how you play against them because they've seen enough games, you know, three, four games leading up to this point to be able to say, okay, this is where they're good at. This is where they're not so good at. This is where we can pinpoint. And this is how we can probably, um, you know, kind of get there. And, and, and let's not forget, mostly the Swedish team didn't really have much of a rotation, at least from the start. It's kind of pretty much been the same starting 11 from, from beginning to end. So those players are going to are going to get tired and 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 you know I think if there was any scope for for rotation it should have been in the group stages properly uh and kind of giving maybe one or two more players to a chance to um kind of get acclimatized to the tactics and maybe get get you know have fresher legs within the system and the cohesion that the front four had. but that's just minor minor things uh but yeah no overall I think that's that's what it is
0: and uh, for the tournament being a Barcelona fan uh Rolfo had an outstanding tournament, I think. She's also scored the only um, goal of this match in the one one over Australia. Um, Jesse, I mean, how impressive was she this tournament?
1: Yeah, I thought she was really, really good. Um, you know, I thought all of Rolfo, Jakobsen and Aslani looked fantastic for almost all of these games, you know. Um, and what I thought was really impressive about Rolfo was her ability to kind of take these games by the scruff of the neck you know even in that that group game against Australia it felt like she did the same thing there as as she did here it was just like enough is enough I'm going to score a ridiculously good goal um and I think it's really exciting because I think you know at Wolfsburg it felt like we didn't always see the best of her I don't know it just felt like it wasn't always clicking but it feels like in this Sweden team it really, it's really clicks and that's quite scary that she's now going into the, the Barcelona team as well. The only thing I worry about with that Barcelona team is though I wonder whether we've kind of seen with the Sweden team um, how important it is for her to almost be able to pick the ball up and dictate the play. Um, and, you know, like the way... Uh, all the, those three players interlink is really impressive. Um, and the only thing I wonder about Barcelona is, is kind of like the embarrassment of riches thing, almost where do players who really like that thrive as much when, you know, they're probably going to be rotated a lot more. Um, you know, obviously Barcelona love all the, like switching around stuff, but, you know, coming into a team that's already so successful and so attacking, I just wonder what that competition might look like with her play, given how well she seems to have thrived in a very settled Swedish attack. Um, So I think that'll be interesting, but uh, yeah, she's, she's come, you know, all of those attackers I think have had an absolutely amazing a tournament.
0: Yeah. I think the Swedish attack has been probably my favorite of the tournament, mainly because of how they've linked up. Um, I mean, you have Rolf Blaksinias and Jakobsen and then right behind them, you have Aslani who also had an amazing tournament. Um, It was just absolutely wonderful to see. Um, But yeah, I am curious. I'm mostly curious uh, how she fits in in Barcelona, not for the attacking perspective, but kind of seeing how she's going to play with the midfield. Um, Because I think Alexia Poteas probably has that similar role that that Aslani has for the Swedish team in terms of playing that high midfield attacker um, and kind of distributing from kind of facing the goal, kind of, uh, attacking perspective in between the lines and, and kind of, she, I mean, she likes to get a shot on target as well. Um, so it will be, it will be interesting, but we're talking about the Olympics now, so let's not get too carried away. Um, in the other quarterfinals, Canada overcame Brazil 4-3 in penalties with St. Clair missing the only Canadian penalty in the entire shootout, which um, that's important to mention because that's kind of why Jesse Fleming took over the the penalty responsibilities in the next few games, which was obviously very, very, very important for Canada to get to that final. Um, but yeah, Abdullah and I gave the edge to Canada in our predictions, Jesse gave it to Brazil. Uh, but either way, I think when we were doing these predictions, we we mentioned that it could go either way. they're they're very, very similar in terms of quality and and kind of the consistency and form that they've had leading up to this. and it was kind of just who showed up on the day. Um, and I'm surprised that it went to penalty shootouts because it couldn't get um, decided in regular time. Uh, but they set themselves up, Canada set themselves up with a semifinal against the US. And I mean, they did it. I, no one predicted that they could have done it, but there is Jessie Fleming um, converting her penalty. It was it was a brilliant penalty. I mean, the keeper guessed the right way, but it was just it was slotted the the pace and the, the kind of the placement of it, just absolutely brilliant. Um, and yeah, I mean, Jesse Fleming, wow, Jesse. Jesse, Jesse, Jesse Fleming. Um, are you were you surprised about the the kind of result? I mean, I think we kind of all were, but um, tell us a bit more of of your reaction. Yeah, there's
1: that. not much I enjoy more than a Chelsea player with the same name as me scoring to knock out the US. That's pretty much my like dream football match. Um, yeah, I was surprised. I was. Um, I think Canada. I think Canada did well to frustrate the U.S., but I think also the U.S. frustrated themselves. Um, I didn't really feel like Canada were offering much more than the U.S. were. Um, I mean, ultimately, they they managed to get the penalty, and, yeah, Jesse Fleming, ice cold, like, to, to take that penalty and, you know, give your side the opportunity to beat the U.S. for the first time in, in 20 years is is outstanding and you know like we've talked about the she believes cup game between these two sides um a couple of times because i think for me it was that game where i felt like this was like a really you know kind of red flag to maybe what was going on with the us where actually Canada had loads more chances in that game and and didn't manage to convert any of them and i don't think you know Looking across this tournament, that hasn't really changed. And I think that's probably what Bev Priestman has to figure out next. But you know, they they showed in that game that they had the ability to be really defensively solid and to, you know, really put the US off their game and not allow them to kind of build up those like quick passing moves that seen them be be so devastating. And I think also that's why it's it's been a bit of surprise with this US team that um we haven't seen some maybe younger, quicker players because that's always felt like what they've really traded of is is this, you know, the fitness thing and their, their speed and their ability to play. And, and it kind of, across this whole tournament, you just felt like none of that's been there. You know, I think the pass completion rate for both teams in the first half of that game was like 65, 70%, which I think tells you exactly how much of a dirge the kind of game was. But credit to Canada, they, you know, dug in and they held on. And yeah, Jesse Fleming is, is a total legend now, you know, she'll, she's, she's done so much. I tweeted Joe the final, she was just like single-handedly hauling them through the competition. And it, it kind of was like that, to be honest.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the best part of that was kind of the, I knew, I know it was planned earlier, um, but also the fact that kind of St. picked up the ball and, and gave it to Jesse Fleming. I think that was very symbolic. It was very, very touching. And after, after the match, what I liked about Bev um, was kind of like, we can talk all about how the U.S. haven't had their best tournament. But realistically, we saw the match against them. We pickpointed pointed um, kind of their weaknesses and where we can exploit them. And, I mean, she absolutely nailed it um, on the head with that. Uh, whether it was luck, whether it was tactical, you know. I mean, either way, they shut down Canada. Um, U.S., sorry. Canada did not shut down Canada. They cannot physically do that. Um, but they Abdulla, did shut
1: down themselves a little bit as well, though. I that, that, is, that is true, to be fair. Um,
0: but yeah, Abdullah, you know, tactically, um, what were your thoughts on this match? Like, did Bev absolutely nail
2: this? I think she got as close as she could to absolutely nailing this. Um, I think... I think I think where the U.S. strengths lie, um, taking away their embarrassment of riches up front. I think it's their midfield. I think I think the U.S. in the beginning when they started playing Haran as a as a six and having then Lavelle and Mewis, I don't think that worked out because you know the way the U.S. play, they need someone solid in uh, who's defensively disciplined and and, tact, and and positionally disciplined as a as a defensive midfielder. And so I think when Juliet's came back in, I think that changed it for them. And she gives them this presence. She's got the experience, and it kind of you know Lavelle and Co ahead of her, it, it works out. So I think for Canada, by kind of shutting down their their passing patterns in 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 midfield, and similar to um, similar to the way <coughs> sorry uh, similar to the way that Sweden did against the U.S. in the first game, um, you know, Aslani just kind of playing this high pressing with Angadal and. and and Sager you just have you have to shut down that US midfield when when they're playing out from the back and when they're getting it into the first into the first pivot uh, in midfield and kind of progressing from there if you can close that down and kind of put pressure there the US kind of like have to then direct go like direct and go route one and they kind of don't know they kind of can't play that way because they don't have the personnel to kind of go route one Um, and if you can force them to do that then yes so I think I think the Canadians kind of stuck in there in the middle uh, and really applied enough pressure and I think I mean the penalty that, that Tiana Davidson gave away came from a ball over the you know uh, from some good pressure came over the top we had a you know you had the Canadians running through and then Davidson was caught napping and then they won a penalty and I think it was that was just an accumulation of the way that they were playing for like you know 60 70 70 minutes and you know uh, you know if, if that's the way they were going to score then they deserve that that, that that kind of you know the way they created the goal and kind of go from there so I think um Well, again, the U.S. haven't had the best tournament, but I feel like that was a deliberate ploy by by Bev and by Canada to kind of, okay, let's stifle their midfield, let's let's block out their source where they're best at, and then we just kind of win a high up the pitch and isolate their defenders because, let's face it, their they're center backs are so not the greatest 1v1. Like Sourbun isn't the quickest. D- Davidson's there for a pace, but kind of, you know, she's not as experienced as, as a run in, in there. Abidal Camber's not had the best best uh, tournament either, kind of in and out of this team. So, and then the full backs like to fly forward anyway. So you've got space in behind. So I think all of these kind of factors put together, I think Canada did really well to,
1: to kind of get through to them.
0: And Jesse, in your thought, where did Canada get the upper hand here?
1: I think it was, you know, kind of like Abdul has just touched on that ability to really frustrate the game and a real focus on almost deciding to disrupt the US's ability to play almost rather than thinking too much about their own build-up play. And I think that's something that I've enjoyed about Priestman throughout this tournament is kind of a sense of, of pragmatism rather than looking to, you know, build these beautiful attacks, you know, she knows they've got fast players, players who run in kind of Becky and, and Prince. Um, they've got players who will play like good balls in terms of like Fleming and Sinclair. But ultimately it doesn't, you know, I know Christine Sinclair has scored a lot of goals, but ultimately it doesn't really feel like Canada have a great goal scorer at the moment in their team. So it feels like it's been quite sensible of her to therefore focus on having um, a really strong midfield a midfield that's like looking to frustrate other teams. You know, I think we saw this in the final where Quinn was kind of, they were struggling to, you know, hold the ball against Sweden. And that was immediately the change at half time because I think that's where Priestman really like wants to put her focus is of disrupting opposition teams' build-up play in around that midfield defensive area and then looking to play, you know, those quick long balls out towards the runners, but maybe not worrying so much about what that, attacking play then looks like as opposed to just really wanting to quickly get the ball down the pitch and see what happens. Um and that's kind of like it works for them because if you're then picking up penalties from playing balls like that, from, you know, as Addula just said, catching defenders, maybe napping who um they've seen kind of their team have, you know, bits of the ball and they're expecting them to build up play, that then works really well for you if you've got a player who's like Fleming who's gonna convert those chances for you. Um every time. So um I think it's been, you know, for Canada, uh, an amazing tournament, an amazing journey to beat the US, I'm sure almost meant as much to them as as winning in the final did. Um because that is a real, you know, bogey team, like <laughs> geographically, historically. Um so I think it was impressive. And you know, I think Priestman has had an impact on that. But I do also think there was a lot of the U.S. shooting themselves in the foot, too.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to sum it up. But yeah, the, the celebrations after that Jesse Fleming goal were just everything. Um, it looked like Shalina Zdorsky was going to eat Jesse Fleming at one point in that photo. She kind of she kind of looked like a monster looking uh, like a zombie kind of attacking their, their food. Um, but Abdullah, uh, from your perspective, what part of the U.S. did Canada know um, to get that edge?
2: I mean, kind of again, I'll, I'll go back to kind of similarity to what I said, I think it's all about that midfield it's it's in it, you know Michelle you know, Prince Jesse Fleming these players work their socks off to to kind of outwork the the. US midfield and and I think those three I think I think that's what the problem is like Jesse said it's they've shot themselves in the foot I just don't think they they just kept trying different combinations the US in, in midfield and I think whatever combination they tried wasn't working out as well as they wanted it to be and I think the best thing for Canada was was like all right whatever you throw we it, we know that you have a similar game plan we're just going to outwork you and we're just going to pre- we're going to you know we're going to press you there and i think honestly that comes it comes down to that that's where canada just kind of said you know what we're just going to you know we're going to go we're going to go because obviously we know that sinclair isn't the quickest and she isn't the most mobile um and and for someone like a run, that's that's it's an easier time to kind of defend against rather than someone who's quick so really they had to rely on these counter attacks pressing in the field and kind of going from there and i I think that is ultimately where Canada kind of had the edge just to go over on the U.S.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, uh, Jesse, Jesse, focusing on Jesse Fleming. You know, obviously, I think she was probably the top performer on this Canada side. You know, aside from the penalties that that she obviously slaughtered home, and um, I think on the pitch she did a lot to to link up play in that that midfield particularly. Do you think this will get her maybe a, a bit more time onto the Chelsea squad?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, I've been, I was quite surprised last season about how little we saw of Jesse Fleming, but I will caveat that with the fact that, you know, Emma Hayes can often look to be quite cautious with younger players, especially coming into the Chelsea setup. It's not necessarily unusual for her to kind of wait until she feels like they can really hit the ground running before they are brought in. But it's funny because watching Jessie Blum play for Canada, I think she holds a lot of solutions to problems that Chelsea have had. You know, we talked around last season about how, you know, Chelsea's defence has at points struggled And I kind of think that's less to do with the defenders themselves, but about maybe the amount of support they've got from the midfielders. And it hasn't always felt like there's been someone who can, in those like really tough games, look to join up defense and attack. But that is obviously what Jessie Fleming clearly really offers. You know, she's great on the ball, but she presses really well. She's a very intelligent player. I think you know, maybe what we were seeing last season was Hayes trying to figure out this, you know, possibility of fitting harder in with Kerr and Kirby and what all of that looked like. And, you know, maybe it just felt like it was easier to stick kind of with this rotation of Leupold. Okay. Obviously she was new, but incredibly experienced, um, G and Ingle and kind of whatever configuration as then your midfield, but I do think, you know, based off this tournament performance, it's going to be very hard to ignore Jessie Fleming. Although obviously the problem is for her now, perhaps, is that the season starts in, what, four weeks. Um, she's just played in the final. She's presumably going to go on holiday now for a couple of weeks. So, you know, there are players who've been back at Chelsea for pre-season for a lot longer than her. So she's going to kind of also come into the season and Emma Hayes is not won't use her at the start of the season because she doesn't need to. So I think it might be a bit, might still be a bit of a tricky question for her to look at breaking into this team. But I think she is, of all players who didn't play many minutes last season, probably the best placed. I would say to to pick up some really significant minutes this year. I
0: really hope so, and we hopefully we we see a goal, um, because. <laughs> We put out plenty of energy into the world, but obviously that's not happened. Um, but yeah, we'll move on to the bronze medal match, which was um, entertaining, a bit dry, dragged a little bit sometimes, but a uh, final score, 4-3 for the US. Um, there's two goals to mention, obviously, one from either side. Obviously that Rampino, I mean, both Rampino goals, the Olympic goal in the Olympics was obviously good. But I think to nail that volley first time with that technique just off of, I mean, Alana Kennedy is definitely, I mean, she's, that was really, 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 really bad. Um, but for Rampino to nail that technique just off like that, just a few steps and fucking, they just nailed that volley top bin like nothing. Um, That's the first one to mention. Cause that was absolutely ridiculous. Any football player that tries to volley, you will get a volley probably one out of 10 times with that pace. And that like, just a clean hit. Um, and then the next one was next shot at the end for Australia. Um, I mean, she picked up the ball, just drove at the net, and she knew what she was doing the entire time. And then, I mean, that shot was just, it was brilliant. It curled away from the keeper. Um, excellent pace, just like from outside the box. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Um, but yeah, obviously... Australia couldn't really get back into it. Um, There was that one Sam Kerr header that could have been the the kind of comeback for Australia that hit the post and bounced across the goal. Um, it didn't come in and there was no one there to kind of react to it. Um, and I think that was kind of the game changer. I think after that, Australia tried, I think they panicked just a little bit and got a bit messy and the US kind of just saw the game like that. But yeah, obviously that was a bit more... Entertaining in the in the dying moments, at least for that. Uh, but Abdullah, what do you think of that match?
2: Again, I think it went the way. That it was supposed to go a lot of goals both teams really good going forward uh defensively i think um he, i think i think both both teams need a little bit of work uh you know, i mean i think australia may be in a little bit of a better position to in their overall team structure than the u.s i think the u.s still needs it now need to go back to the drawing board and kind of figure out okay who do we keep for the future and who do we who do we kind of say all right this is it but um I would say one thing the technique in this game like you said is has was outstanding in this game open both sides like rapino's goal uh you know uh, from, from the you know the, the clearance from australia didn't go you know didn't go their way it landed at rapino and that that shot was brilliant uh obviously the one from the corner was was pretty amazing as well um but yeah no, overall i think it was i think the u.s just i think they wanted to just prove a point um and they did they won it, they got bronze uh but i think uh but you know overall um It is what it is. Australia tried and uh, it would have been nice. It would have been fitting, I think, if they had won bronze based on their performances, kind of everything that happened to them. But it was not. They obviously missed Ellie Carpenter, you know, in their defense from that red card from the previous game. But uh, yeah, I think that's kind of my general thoughts.
0: Yeah, I think Ellie Carpenter missing in that right back position. Um, I Someone tweeted, I forgot who tweeted, but I definitely laughed when I saw it. It was that no one is enjoying Ellie Carpenter being out more than Reggie Mampino is right now. I think I think Ellie Carpenter can make the difference because obviously I think I gained a lot of respect, a lot more respect for Rapino this tournament. Um, I think she was one of the few players that kind of, I think Jesse and I spoke about it in a group chat before that. Um, against, I think it was against Canada. She was the only one that would get bodied off the ball and just pick herself up and go for the ball again. Um, Whereas everyone else kind of got shoved off the ball and then kind of stayed on the floor complaining to the ref, which is, I mean, it is, it's football. It is predictable. It is fair. But Rampino was kind of the only one that put her head down and just wanted to get on with the game. I think at one point she, it was going down to the, to the end, um, near the goal and she kinda she literally just got shoved off the ball. She went flying. And the first thing she did was get up on the first like the minute she touched the floor, she got up and got the ball and took it to the corner. Um so I like I gained a lot of respect for Rampino on that. And I think she showed up for this match as well. She was one of the ones that kind of she was like, all right, let's get shit done. Um and she showed up with those two goals and that kind of described everything. Um but Jesse, you know, this US side that we saw against Australia was a bit more aggressively sound, I think that's a good way to put it for a US perspective. Um, it was one of the times that I think all of them kind of showed up, I don't think as good as they could be, as good as Rapino did for example, but it was kind of, you felt a different shift of, of momentum in this match, um, but obviously Australia could have easily gotten the better of them too, so it wasn't that, that great either, um, but what do you think of this match in general?
1: Yeah, I loved it. I think it was probably one of my favorite um, matches of the tournament because just what it just felt like we were watching Megan Rapinoe and Sam Kerr like slug it out to see who could be the most elite gay in football. It was just so fun. Um, yeah, I thought I thought Megan Rapinoe. I agree with you. I thought she was one of the few US players who came away from this tournament with a lot of credit still. And, you know, I think we just saw in this game, like her precision, her delivery, um, you know, I feel like maybe we didn't see more of her in this tournament. I kind of actually, she was one of the few players who I thought Blacko used well, you know, bringing her on a lot of time after around 60 minutes, because it felt like that was the way to, you know, get a really good half an hour out of her. But as you say, it felt like, you know, I think maybe this is unfair, but Sometimes with some of the other U.S., older U.S. players, it feels like they feel like they deserve to win um, because they've won so much. And, you know, that's not to say that they don't work for it, but I feel like Megan Rapino is a player who, when you watch her, it still almost feels like she's got a really clear understanding of like, no, you also work to win. Um, and that was like an attitude that I felt like was really missing from the way some of the other US players played. Whereas, you know, like you said, Alex, like in that calendar game, she was the one like still making runs, still like bombing down, down the left wing, still firing crosses into the box where maybe it felt like other players heads had gone down a bit and they kind of saw the writing on the wall for the tournament. And similarly, it felt like in this game, she was like, no, like I'm not coming away from here without a medal. And if that means I'm gonna score from a corner and then score a ridiculous volley, that's what it's gonna be. But yeah, I thought it was a shame for Australia. It was it was probably a fair result. Um, but I thought, you know, they also showed that they could pretty much go toe to toe with the us you know like as much as we can say the us probably deserved it rapino's goals were exceptional um so you know (laughs) if things go like a little bit differently i think you could be looking at a a really different match whereas you know i thought um you know sam kerr's first goal she was helped out a bit by ad Franch there but caleb ford's goal was really really good um you know, and I think Caitlin Ford is a player who really grew into this tournament. Um, I felt like at the start of the tournament, it wasn't quite cooking for her, but um, you know, and I think ultimately what the question we had at the beginning of this tournament is how the Australia make it work with Kerr when it's so obvious to Mark, you know, how do they make sure that she is linking up with Ford, like that they do have these runners that they can get her still into these positions where she scores. And, you know, she across this tournament, she became Australia's all time top women's goal scorer. She's got Tim Cahill in her sight. She'll almost, I think he's like three goals ahead of her. So she's almost certainly going to overtake him soon. Um, and I think that's, that's the most important thing for them to get right. And they did get it right. And they got it right in, in every game they played um, pretty much. So, you know, I think coming away from this, they can be really happy really excited I know lots of people were maybe a bit concerned that they were gonna you know flop at this Olympics and then go into this World Cup in two years time but I think it um was a really really great tournament for them and I think they should be really proud of how they played yeah I definitely
0: agree with that I think they're I think they're a step further than where they expected themselves to be and where everyone expected themselves to be I think everyone kind of had the mentality that they were going to be okay with Australia taking this tournament as kind of a practice um, in a big tournament with the new coach, with the new tactical system, with, with kind of players growing into certain positions. Um, I think everyone was okay with that and kind of got around with the fact that they shouldn't expect much. Um, But then Australia kind of just shut everyone up as Sam Kerr would say, just send her a bottle of wine and then you can apologize that way. But yeah, I'm definitely excited to see Australia grow and hopefully they do grow and hopefully this isn't kind of a peak that we see and hopefully they kind of actually do progress from this. Um, But moving on to the final, um, 1-1 in regular time, a Jesse Fleming penalty again. Um, And then obviously penalties went a bit of a shit show to to kind of summarize it quickly. Um, Canada ended up winning 3-2 on penalties. But yeah, it was... I mean, it was a pretty even final, I think a bit more disappointing from the Swedish perspective in terms of what they're capable of doing versus what they actually did in this game. But yeah, absolute heartbreak for Caroline Seeger. When she walked up to take that penalty, I was like, all right, that's it. You know, Sweden won. Um, the emotions that everyone had, the confidence that they had in her. Um, I, was, I was ready to just jump off the sofa and celebrate for Sweden. But then she skied that one. I don't know how. And then obviously Canada won on the next kick, I believe. Um, but yeah, Jesse, what did you feel after? Shocked and gutted for Sweden, happy and joyous for Canada Bev and and Quinn in particular as well, or just all the above.
1: Yeah, kind of all of the above. I think I probably wanted Sweden to win because I felt like they deserved it. I think it's kind of not controversial to say that they were by far and away the best team at this tournament. Um, but yeah, it's hard not to feel happy for for Canada, for Quinn making history as, you know, the, you know we knew as soon as they were in the final that they'd be the first trans person, out trans person at Olympics to to win a medal and for that to be gold is obviously awesome. And, you know, Christine Sinclair, like what you know, she, she deserved that moment at some point. She's, she's been such a legend, such a trailblazer for the game, you know, been playing in that Canada team for the best part of, you know, over 20 years at this point. And yeah, what, what a moment for her. Um, but yeah, it, it was a surprise. Um, maybe it shouldn't have been because of how effectively Canada shut out the U S but I think I just went into it, assuming, um, that they would have expended almost everything on on what that meant emotionally but but there was there was more to come i think you know looking at sweden they had this you know magda eriksson at left back thing which they did for the semi final as well and i kind of understood the the logic behind it, but I think it really like blunted their actually in both games, their ability down that left wing. Um, it was interesting that um, Jakobsen and Rolfo were, were swapped around for that, which I wonder whether that was a response to how, you know, they kind of struggled in the semifinal, but it didn't really feel like that solved it. And I actually thought as soon as John Anderson came on, you could obviously it helped that Canada were tiring at that point, but you could immediately see how much more dynamic they felt down there because, only every time Magda Eriksson was getting the ball just like outside the box on the left it was like the cross was coming in or the shot was coming in and it it wasn't quite right so you know I felt like maybe against Australia it it made sense because with Australia playing wing backs it was like a clever way to to be able to you know defend one-on-one and and avoid those crosses coming in to Sam Kerr, which had obviously hurt them so much in the group stage, but it felt like in this game, maybe it wasn't quite the right decision.
0: Abdullah, were you surprised about this result or did Bev get it right again?
2: I think I'll say I'm surprised at this result this time, mainly because I was so sure that Sweden were going to be, the form that they were in, the way they were playing tactically, I just thought, right, this is it. This is Sweden's moment. They're going to do it. And then kind of once the game started, I was like, well, I wasn't expecting this. Because Literally in the first 20, 25 minutes, I was like, Canada actually have more of the ball. They're controlling it better in midfield. Jesse Fleming's doing Jesse Fleming things. Um, and kind of Sweden are, I mean, I know that they were playing a lot more off the ball in the previous games, but it almost felt like they were kind of more off the ball in this game, than they were in previous games, and I think they were. They were. Uh, I, I don't think they were expecting that as much as 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 what had happened. Um, and I think with with Bev, I think like like we said about um, the the U.S. game. I think she knew here as well. If you can kind of stop that, you can. You know, if you stop Aslani and kind of that that progression from the center backs into Aslani, because she is the one player that that kind of links everybody together whether it's the two defensive midfielders or it's the front three it's that's where it was and I think while Aslani still had a good game uh obviously she she was pivotal I think when it came to it you know Canada instead of maybe pressing them and and kind of shutting her up because she's really good off she's really good under pressure uh, Aslani I think they just kind of controlled the ball more midfield and they said okay we will not take the ball and we're going to play our game the way we want to play it and i think that really i think that frustrated sweden because they were like all right we though they have the ball we don't actually have enough space to kind of go through and do things and and i think set pieces is where i thought they were actually going to get the goal because i think at the end of it sweden had 12 or 13 corners uh by the end of the 90 minutes which i thought was like okay you've got to score from at least one of them but even then canada defended well so yeah, I think I think it was I was a bit more surprised than, than anything else uh, in this in this game.
0: Yeah, I think we can all say that. But Sweden are arguably probably one of the best teams in the world right now. Um, Though they don't have a medal or a trophy to show it so far, obviously two consecutive uh, silver medals in Rio and Tokyo and no major tournaments wins just yet. The closest they've come to a World Cup was in 2003 and they got second place and they lost against Germany. Um, that was kind of the high flying Germany that we all kind of know of um, but yeah they, they have I mean they have nothing yet and I think they've progressed so much since that Rio um final as well um they're I think a completely different team now they've they've kind of cemented themselves and how they want to play and I think now the next step is to kind of further further progress that um somehow but Jesse, do you think now they're kind of one of the favorites to win the euros next year?
1: I'm not sure they'd be the favourite, mainly because I don't bet, but I've told everyone who bets they should put money on Spain because I'm convinced Spain are going to win. But um, they're clearly a very good team. Um, they've had some really solid performances kind of over the past five years or so. Um, I think um, Hedvig Lindahl retiring from international football, which she told Susie Rack after the game, that's going to be a big, big loss for them, Not necessarily because they don't have other goalkeeping talent, but I just think she's been such a talismanic player for them. And that's almost another thing that's so heartbreaking, that penalty shootout, the way she got her hand to that, that last penalty, but just couldn't keep it out. Um, But I think, you know, they're clearly a quality team. I feel like they've got kind of older players who... Are, have been around a long time but are really like still improving like Aslani and, and Jacobson um, in particular I do still kind of worry about their scoring um, you know I think Sternius is a good central striker without being an exceptional one um, and I think that has been traditionally their problem is their ability to score and I think they've been kind of bailed out quite a lot by well Rolfo I guess really in this tournament Um, they have looked a lot better in that in that front but I think that's the that's the real like missing piece still there for Sweden but yeah they're an undeniably good team they're solid all over the pitch Um, they're always going to be tough to come up against but they don't necessarily have that aura around them still that I think which makes teams like really worry about them I think even you know you're looking at Europe obviously yeah Spain I think are exceptional but even teams like France and Germany I feel like have almost scarier players among those their ranks than than Sweden do um I feel like unfortunately they've got a reputation for being very like consistent but without being almost like mercurial like that real like unpredictability which I think makes a very elite international team more scary but yeah i think that's why i really wanted them to win because i just felt like this was such a good moment and they'd so clearly been better than everyone else And i don't think that will be true at the euros yeah i think that's i do agree with
0: what you say kind of about the aura around a team um kind of that it's not confidence it's just kind of that that feeling that when they step on the pitch you don't want to be playing them right now and like in that particular moment um i, I do think sweden are kind of like the humble quiet shy um kind of elite team in between like everyone else uh, but yeah it's kind of it's it's hard to explain if you don't really agree with it right off the bat but i do agree with that point you make there jesse um but abdullah for you what was the best aspect of sweden's sweden's uh, performances this tournament
2: i think for me it's the front four i don't think i can i I can go in. I think they've been good throughout the, the the phases you know the defenders the midfielders and the and the front four uh, i before I go into my reasons for the Fords I think uh, Caroline Sager and uh, Philippe Angedal have been absolutely rock solid as the double pivot for Sweden I think that them playing a very supporting role in that midfield and kind of just being the the, the rocks and kind of the platform for the Swedish front four to kind of go in and kind of do their thing I think has been pivotal. Um, and, uh, like you know, the whole debate around Magda at left back, Anderson at left back, that I think still has to be figured out. And like kind of Jesse said uh, earlier, kind of, you didn't need Magda at left back against Canada, whereas against, you know, a 3-4-3 three, three, or a 3-5-2 to stop the wingbacks, Magda is obviously a better choice. But I kind of, going to go back to the front four, I think... I think those, those four have done really well I think um, and kind of just kind of going to Jesse's point about Blackstenius being not, not being like this absolutely like devastating you know world-class striker I think kind of for the system that they're playing right now or rather the system that they want to play right now with kind of Rolfo and Jakobsen kind of where they want to get their goals from. And obviously, Vlaxenia's contributor, she got, you know, four or five goals in the tournament, uh, which I think was, was a huge bonus. Um, but I think if they want to continue playing with their two wider players, kind of being their main source of goals, you don't need an out-and-out striker up front to be able to score you a goal every game because that player is just kind of going to be your um, your, your tactical sort of like, um, you know, trump card where she's going to be the one creating the space, moving around in of the box, kind of pu- pulling players away uh kind of that type of role though I do think that with Anna Anvergaard going to Everton this season I think that's going to be a huge huge uh move mainly because now she's going to be playing with arguably better quality opposition on a regular basis at least with the you know the, the top four she'll play them at least twice a season uh you know this time and I think if she can get a good few goals and kind of settle into that Everton side and kind of you know get you know get used to playing a little bit more physical and and things like that, I think she could be she could prove to be a huge tactical weapon to start for Sweden in the Euros next year, and I think that could prove a difference if Rolfo has a good time, because uh, I think importantly for Rolfo and I wanted to bring this up earlier is that she's playing in a, in a counter-attacking side for Sweden right now. And like we said, she's settled in there. She has a system and there's a way of playing and she, she gets kind of given the ball. She breaks and she kind of goes forward. Barcelona don't play very counter-attack. They're very possession-based. And I think I want to see now how she does in a possession-based team. Uh, because arguably for Wolfsburg, they were a little bit more possession-based and she didn't have the greatest of times. She was very, not as consistent, you know. And I think in the Sweden setup, she's been kind of very consistent, especially with her scoring, and and all that. So I'm I'm excited to see what she does at Boston and how she integrates with the tiki taka football and if she can kind of Develop her game on that side; that makes a difference. Jakobsen going to Bayern Munich is going to be another big one because again, possession dominant side; they're going to do well over there. Um, and then Aslani kind of going to be playing in her, you know, playing in the Champions League for Real Madrid this season. I think is going to you know take her game up a different level. So I think Aslani kind of being 30, 31 right now. I think she's still going to be key, and I think for the Euros. But it's about how the other two, three players that they can kind of mold and change coming up to a year and I think that'll tell us a lot about whether Sweden is going to be a force to be reckoned with and people should be scared of for the Euros or whether it, they're going to be kind of similar to what they are now and kind of where teams will have more time to prepare and kind of stop that the way that the way they play but yeah I think overall for this specific tournament the front four have been fantastic I think the tactics are great now it's just about evolving them and the players evolving and kind of maybe like we said, small tweaks, bringing that extra player and kind of switching things out and seeing how that works.
0: Yeah. And Jesse, you mentioned earlier how this was kind of Sweden's time to shine. Um, But I want to flip that around. And then obviously, you know, Canada, you know, Christine Sinclair finally has a medal. As we mentioned, you know, she is probably one of, um, she will be one of the most legendary, legendary players in women's football um, for years and years and years and years to come. And Quinn obviously has a, became the first openly trans athlete to get an Olympic medal let alone a gold medal um like a lot of history in this canadian win that i think everyone can kind of get behind um but if i'm being blunt at least like i don't see canada challenging for something like a world cup anytime soon (laughs) um they do have great players but i just don't think that they have the potential to beat some of the other great um teams that there are at the moment Sweden can potentially challenge for the Euros uh, next year, as we mentioned, and then obviously they can potentially challenge for a World Cup eventually if they keep progressing uh, in this form. But was this kind of, you know, Canada's time to shine, like the only tournament that they can kind of get behind?
1: I don't know. I think Canada definitely took an opportunity that was presented to them. They were really defensively solid and they made the most of what was put in front of them, you know? if they have a weaker penalty taker or if Christine Sinclair ends up taking those penalties even rather than Jesse Fleming, we're having maybe a totally different conversation about how all oh, Canada were there, thereabouts, but it just didn't quite work. But um, saying all that, I do think Canada have are one of the countries with one of the most exciting like crops of young players coming through. You know, we've talked about Jesse Fleming as being kind of Canada's MVP for this tournament but she's 23 years old you know um, and she's just won a, a gold medal with them so there's you know players like Ashley Lawrence is is really exciting um, she's been like totally quality throughout this tournament but then you've got you know Deanne Rose who's yet to play her first professional game football. She's going to Reading for this season. Jordan Huitema, who is at PSG, but we've not really seen loads of, but is obviously incredibly highly rated. Um, so I do think there's lots for Canada to be optimistic about. It definitely doesn't feel like this is a team that has to, this is like necessarily the end of a cycle. Um, and I think this is a really great opportunity with those younger players to have, you know, this is what it feels like to win. This is what it feels like to you know, push through games where you're not the favourites, where you are the underdogs, where you don't have many chances and still get there. I agree. I think it is hard to imagine them challenging at a World Cup as they are right now. But I think there's certainly a lot to be optimistic about still within within this team and, you know, what better base um, to to kick off from um, than, than having a gold at the Olympics. Yeah, I think that is fair to
0: say. I also do want to shout out Desiree Scott, on the Canada team um, she's easily one of my favorite Canadian players to watch um, again she just does everything so simply yeah. I mean she gets the ball in the midfield she keeps possession she distributes simple passes she distributes really really well um, she's quick on her feet good with uh, ball possession on her feet as well uh, I think I mean even like the 2019 uh, France World Cup even my dad my dad is a very picky person to compliment a football player and he complimented her um, and I think even before that 2015 World Cup was as well. She kind of stood out for me. Um, but yeah, definitely kind of Desiree Scott is is one of the most impressive players for Canada And just very simple terms of what she does in the midfield and kind of how she dictates a lot of the tempo. Um, she's kind of very similar to like Kim Little in terms of style. You know, she's not like a flashy player. She just does everything that she needs to do right and obviously that benefits the team as a whole um a lot um but yes that's the end of this podcast i i know it's a bit more than what we usually do in terms of time but we did have a whole knockout stage to get through um and that's not even going into a lot of detail in each game but yes uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of box box to box tokyo 2021 our predictions went terribly but we hope that yours went slightly better than ours um, and yes, WSL season is just around the corner, and we'll get season two of Box Box WSL officially underway soon. Um, reminder that the first day of the season is on September fifth. Um, hopefully, before that, we might get a few prediction, um, well, just one prediction episode out, really. Um, and yeah, just just follow our official Twitter account Boxbox Box WSL to keep up to date with all information and updates on the podcast. Uh, you can see our individual Twitter handles there as well, and we'll kind of update um, on there to see what our next episode will be in terms of WSL. Um, But yeah, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you soon.
2: Cheers, guys. See you later.